0: Hello, and welcome to Unhedged, a candid discussion of markets and mechanisms. I am your host, Frank Troyce, a 25-year-plus veteran of the markets, both bull and bear. Joining me on the show are market participants ranging from hedge funds to fintech, and as diverse and eclectic a group as winemakers and priests. All of us, like you, asking the same question we all do when we turn on the TV nowadays why unhedged is a weekly podcast and on occasion a bi-weekly podcast based on the subject matter you can subscribe to unhedged through itunes as always your feedback is appreciated both good and bad so let's get started today's broadcast is brought to you today by oracle Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud, and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to sohocap.com unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. Hello everyone and welcome back to Unhedged. I'm your host Frank Troyes, and this week once again I have as my fun sparring partner Mr. Douglas Borthwick. Doug good to see you again. Great to be here thank you. So how is uh before we kick off how was your week with the snow and everything were you did you manage to get into the city or did you stay up in Connecticut most of the week?
1: I was in the city all week and uh it's pretty exciting we had one day where there was snow the next day it was 50 degrees but unbelievable. A so is there week. So is there still snow on the ground? Uh, not in New York City. In Connecticut, we still get a little bit, but uh, nothing in New York.
0: Interesting. You know, and it, was, it was. I was thinking of you this week. I was um, very, very honored this week to uh, to attend several events, and um, the events had the Chatham House rule. So suffice it to say, I was uh, one of those classic uh, Groucho Marx things where you, you look around the room and you, you're wondering why you're sitting there. And I was in the room with a bunch of uh, senior... Singaporean officials and and uh, ministerial staff and and also some uh, U.S. officials, and it was really interesting, Doug. One one of the things I was looking forward to today to talk with you was uh, when they were going over the the policy initiatives of this administration. You know, they, they they prefaced everything by saying, "Once you take the drama of Washington out of the discussion, that actually the 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 points that are being pushed." are are actually important and substantive. And and I was curious this week, just given uh, some of the things that you've been talking about and looking at, because the, the interesting takeaway out here was that, you know what, once you get rid of the, the Trump emotional aspect of it, the US is actually not being terribly irrational or unrealistic in terms of its demands, especially in regards to some of the conversations now going on with China.
1: Well, I think that's very true. I think there's been a lot of hysteria regarding the Trump presidency that's mostly based on personal thoughts as opposed to Politically what he's doing. and I think that a lot of the things he's putting together are things that echo not just with his base but also with American industry and uh, Obviously China is one of the most important ones certainly regarding IP Which is something that all of the world can get behind near the theft of IP But also regarding manufacturing in the US and you can look at so many different charts that show as soon as China joined the WTO US jobs started moving from the from the US over to China And that crushed you know the middle of america and the middle of america is trump's base he wants to get manufacturing back on if he can't get manufacturing he wants the farmers on his side and the way to do that is to turn around and say you know what these trade deficits they don't make sense china needs to do more for the us because we're doing plenty for you and i think that you know the us is now behind it very much so there's still a lot of skepticism but i think it's misfound skepticism you know lighthouses out there and he's talking about he's talking to the chinese it's quite obvious that because of Trump and the way that his personality works, obviously he wants to be the one that announces the deal and he wants to be the one that ends up signing the document while he's standing there next to Xi. Now that's going to be happening uh, sooner than we expected. It's going to be happening in a month's time at Mar-a-Lago. So it's all very exciting. It's all coming to an end. And the whole Chinese currency discussion that's been going on and on and on, it's something actually we brought up in December 6th last year, where where China came out out of the blue. Chinese Central Bank Governor Yi Gang came out And he said, they're going to keep monetary policy flexible Now, the last time that was said was about was in 2011. And after they came out and said they they were going to be flexible, the Chinese currency strengthened considerably. And now obviously Trump's come out and he's got these concessions and it came out today chatting about this where the Chinese have agreed they're not going to devalue their currency and it'll all be part of the trade idea. Now, this isn't news either, because Trump put in the same sort of wording in his new NAFTA agreement with Mexico and Canada. Because, you know, you put a tariff on Mexico, they devalue their currency by 15, 20 percent and the tariffs essentially disappeared. And so with China, he, he's playing the same game. It's all, you know, if, if you follow the game and don't follow the drama, just as you're talking about, you can really understand where things are going. I think the Chinese currency is going to strengthen a lot. And that means that the euro is going to strengthen and dollar yen is going to start moving lower.
0: Well, this this goes back to your you're saying several things there that I think are important, and, and and let's spend some time on that. So if we, you and I have talked for the better part of almost two years, that it's in it's in not only in this administration's interest, but in the world's interest in terms of a of a weaker dollar. So if, if we focus on that just just here initially, um, you know, you and I uh, again, we we kind of got kicked in the teeth on that trade, despite the underlying fundamentals being there. I mean, what are your what are your thoughts now? Is this is this trade deal now going to be the catalyst for that? I think that the weaker dollar is inevitable, not just because of the rise
1: of the budget deficit in the US and the rise of debt in the US, but also because if you want to get manufacturing in the US, you have to make sure that folks understand, investors understand that their employee is going to be, they have to pay them less in a year's time than they do today. And the only way you can ensure that is by having the dollar slowly weaken over time. Now it can get chipped away Obviously, there's reserve managers that are moving their assets into China. I think Russia's was one of the biggest ones last year, where they moved 90% of their US assets out of the US into China. And that was rather considerable. They took up most of the Chinese sovereign bond market by doing that, but they were worried about capital controls. And there's other countries as well that are now buying the Chinese currency and buying Chinese sovereign debt. When they start doing that in lieu of, instead of buying US treasuries, that's obviously negative for the US dollar. Now, Let's face it, most trade right now is priced in U.S. dollars. And so there's always going to be an an automatic demand for it for quite some time. But the Chinese are also going out there and talking to the folks that they're importing from and exporting to. And they're the number one or number two trading partner now pretty much for the whole world. And they're saying, why are you paying us in dollars? Why are we transacting here? Why are we going from Chinese into dollars into Argentina currency? Why don't you just deal directly in yuan? And folks are now getting into that. They're doing that. And as you see trade start to be priced in yuan, not just trade, but also oil and gold. As you see things like that being priced in yuan, you're going to end up with the U.S. start to slowly lose its tier as being the the currency of choice and the major reserve currency, and China will start coming up the uh, coming up up the road. Now, all of that acts as a way to help weaken the dollar. Obviously, the dollar is very very strong. I think by any sort of metric you can throw at it, and folks will say, well. The dollar may weaken against china but is it going to weaken against europe given what's going on in italy i think the truth is yes because if the chinese aren't buying treasuries then they'll probably be buying something else and they'll probably buy some european debt because why worry about europe european debt when the ecb is still talking about you know benoit Kur came out he's a member of the ecb's executive board and he came out and he said look it's possible we're discussing targeted long-term refinancing operations tltro's the last time they did that, they give it to banks at zero percent. The banks then take it; they buy Italian debt. Italian debt then goes bid. No one worries about it. There's a lot of sweeping under the carpet, but European debt can be a great buy when the ECB's buying it all.
0: Doug, let's take let's take one step back because it, again, I want to focus on this idea of the dollar as the the world's reserve currency. Because on the on the face of it. Uh, especially very patriotic Americans will almost have a panic attack when they when they think about the the loss of sovereignty of, of what the U.S. is seeing under a Trump administration. And and one of the one of the interesting takeaways from yesterday was uh, we had a long discussion about what what we were categorizing as the four pillars of the Trump doctrine. And and the interesting thing is that. This has never really been published in in a formal sense. The the administration's done a terrible job of communicating any type of semblance around a structure regarding their doctrine. But it was interesting, the four points here, and and I want to use this to dovetail to your points on the dollar, was the first was the the sovereignty of the nation state and the importance of that. Part two is the responsibility of, of a nation state with respect to burden sharing. Part three was reigning in international institutions that, that historically were created to assist, but not control. So for example, like the, the United Nations, and then the fourth was just very simple reciprocity, especially with, with trade. So, you know, so as I'm, it it was interesting just as a sidebar, it was interesting in the discussion because you had a room politically that, 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 was having a very visceral reaction to some of the things the administration was doing. And once these four points were communicated, kind of it just in a very uh, unemotional way, folks took a step back. And, and it was interesting to see the conversation immediately shift to, uh, of course, now it makes sense in regards to how aggressive the, the position has been with the United States to China on the trade talks, because you know the, this loss of IP and finally putting a foot down. Uh, well, what what is your reaction? To, you know, again, you know, sovereignty of a nation state, responsibilities of nations with re, nation states with respect well, to well, burden sharing, reigning in international. Let, let, let's look at the second one first. You know, responsibilities of nations. You know, when you look at uh, NATO, and,
1: and Trump brought this up, and he said, "Look, you know, you guys aren't putting in enough money," and it was genius because guess what? They put in more money, and where's that money spent on defense spending? It's spent in the U.S. and U.S. folks get their jobs, so bill, you know, billions and billions of dollars. Are being thrown into nato right now NATO nato's using that money to buy us defense contracting jobs which is you know a phenomenal thing and and it's a good it's a, it was a good thing from at the start where he says like why are we putting in so much when you guys are putting in so little yet even though, though your mandate is to put in more and folks looked at that first and said how can the us be you know getting away from nato they weren't getting rid of nato they were creating more jobs for the u.s defense establishment and i think that was fantastic mm-hmm. in terms of other institutions like the UN, I don't really have much of a view on that one. I think that the US though, does look at a lot of the aid it gives around the world and it sort of thinks, you know, why do we give aid to all of these countries? Why can't we weaponize aid? Because there's some countries that we'll give aid to that maybe have a lot of different ideas or thoughts compared to what the US has. And, you know, given that you can say, well, look, we'll withhold aid unless you do X, Y, and Z. And I think that's, you know, a, an important thing now, that certainly can weaken our 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 our, our standing with that current country because China can come in and say, "Look, we'll give you aid. We'll give you a loan for a billion dollars, and you give us your uh, your your gold mining that you do for the next ten years, or something like that." But certainly, you know, the U.S. like with Central America, turns around and says, "Look, why are we giving all of you aid when you're allowing these caravans to come all the way up to the U.S. and and enter into Mexico and then come over the border?" And you know, he's, I, think I think that
0: resonates a lot with uh, certainly with Trump's
1: base and with many American citizens.
0: And, and wh- one of the other data points that came out of the conversation was they they um, <clears throat> they shared a survey where they they polled in region uh, here in Asia, uh, or I should say, in Asia Pacific, and they polled in region. You know, the perception of these different sovereigns, and it was interesting when when the two words that were associated with the United States were hope and enthusiasm. And, and the word that was associated with China was domination. and And to your point, it's interesting you bring up on on uh, NATO and 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 the, the I like your terminology in terms of weaponizing uh, uh, trade in these discussions. but but also the importance of of these defense systems, like here Singapore recently just just engaged in a contract to uh, to purchase an additional set of f35s. And and you know by default making the U.S. military infrastructure and, and framework you know still integral to, to to components of the ecosystem out here. Just question for you though, I mean, how how much of a threat is this really? Because the, the the there's another argument here that folks here in region are looking at this and saying, you know, what, China really doesn't have any aspirations, any imperial aspirations at all. I mean, just just effectively give them back Taiwan. Yeah, yeah. They'll they'll keep the islands in the South China yeah, I Seas. I think Taiwan is
1: probably going to disagree when you talk about having you know more aspirations because obviously the Chinese would love to have Taiwan join them. I think that China certainly seems to be building up its navy rather aggressively, and that's causing some anxiety in the U.S. and with some of the U.S.'s neighbors. But it's probably something that I think that the U.S. would tend to you know fan with flames because when anxiety goes up in the region. And the region turns around and says, look, we need warships and they're not going to build them themselves. They buy them from the U.S. Or they say, look, you know, we need more weapon systems and they buy them from the U.S. So the more these fans are flamed, you know, the, the more jobs are, are given to the United States. Now, that's certainly, you know, you know, maybe I'm talking out of school on that one. But certainly it seems that the defense base sometimes does very well when the flames are, fr- are, are, uh, are fanned. So but, but there's one thing that China has going for it, and that's momentum. And they can't stop that momentum. You know, the growth is growing considerably. They've got a population that's becoming much more educated. It's becoming much more used to the goods that Westerners have been used to for many, many years. And the U.S. has been slowing down. And if the U.S. slowing down or, or old, the, the old world slowing down in the new world, if you'd like to call it that in terms of economics for China, you know, gathering momentum you can expect that China will continue to become a superpower in terms of trade, a superpower in terms of military would be the next thing you'd expect.
0: Well, Doug, let's do this. The, the, let's take a quick break there, a quick commercial break. And uh, do you mind if we come back and dive a little bit deeper on more of the specifics around this? That's great. Perfect. For our listeners, stay tuned. We will be right back.